Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. Here on the show, we talk about how to grow your portfolio, what makes a good investment, the best strategies, and how to execute them. We also keep you up to date on all the news and trends, and we even have the occasional amazing guest on to share their knowledge. My name is Nick Hill. I'm a real estate investor, mortgage agent, and lucky enough to be joined here every Tuesday and Friday by my good buddy, who's down in Palm Springs right now, Daniel Foch. Dan, give us some updates from the desert, from Disneyland, and... Good to see you, man. I feel like I haven't seen you in like a couple of weeks at this yeah, point. Yeah, it does feel like it's been a while. Um, I feel like things kind of felt normal again. Like everybody was back to the office and back to the downtown core. Everything was meetings and conferences and whatever. And then winter came along and it kind of just feels like it was a self-imposed <laughs> lockdown again. Um, yeah, I mean, the desert is good, man. It's uh, it's hot, which is nice. It's a nice change from the damp, cool. It's yep. hot and dry. It's a ni- nice change from the damp, cool that we were seeing in Canada. Disney was great. Um, I haven't been since I was a kid. I saw you had the the ears, the ears on, and everything, which I understand is is a is a requirement. Yeah, I think you have to wear them. Um, I feel like, and it's it's good. They've they've made it into this like it's perfectly marketed, right? Because you feel out of place if you're not wearing them. You can buy them on site. They're like thirty bucks US or something like that. So, oh, it sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, thirty bucks to fit in. Wow. And then uh, yeah, we stayed at a cool hotel in uh, in Laguna Beach uh, after that, which uh, I I came across a Twitter thread. I think Adam sent me a Twitter thread about this hotel, how it was like took a hundred and something years to develop and. Um, wow. but it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it was like a trailer park, but it's gotta be like one of the nicest hotels I've, like in the, you know, it's, it's just beautiful overlooking like the cliffs of overlooking the ocean and pretty sweet. But anyway, there's a cool thread about it that we'll have to do maybe an episode on the, the, the development of yeah. this property. I think I sent it to you, but anyway, um, let's, uh, maybe dive into today's episode. Today's episode, we're going to take, yeah, what a, are we, what are we talking about today? Yeah. So we're going to take a closer look at it. Oshawa, Ontario for deal of the day. And then we're going to go over 10 lessons from a real estate legend south of the border. Uh, should I say who that is? Maybe not. We'll unpack them and we'll look at how these can create value for us as individuals in our investing careers. And then we're also going to touch on everybody's favorite uh, real estate legend in Canada. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe urban legend. Uh, Tiff Macklem, the, the governor of the Bank of Canada and their most recent comments on their interest rate decision, which is weird because they typically aren't supposed to discuss precisely why they made those decisions, but there was some commentary from TIFF, which I think is worth leaning into a little bit. So love it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a pretty good episode to me, but before we dive in, I wanted to start things off with pumping our own tires a little bit here. <laughs> uh, you know, people write us these awesome reviews and, and I sit there and read them before bed to feel good about myself. And, but they really do mean a lot and they, and they genuinely put a big smile on my face. And, you know, this is a, a real reason why we do this, Dan. So I gave you the first one. Why don't you, and we each get one today. Um, so why don't you start us off and, and I'll do mine. Okay. Yeah. Um, five stars, awesome insight and realistic expectations, which is, 
It's nice. I appreciate that hot tip by Jen's Investor T on January 31st, 2023. This podcast is fantastic. Nick and Dan are very knowledgeable in Canadian markets. They take the time to dissect the finer details of real estate investments and the pros and cons for each. Contrary to some of the groups or companies that advertise getting rich quick ideas, Nick and Dan set realistic expectations on various types of investments and strategies and how to optimize those investments. Honestly, I actually really appreciate this given a couple of headlines that we've seen that I shared with you recently, Nick, you know, in the spirit of when the tide goes out, everybody's, you get to see who's swimming naked. Um, There were a couple of those guru get rich quick real estate things where, I mean, one was on a well-known Instagram page and there was just a bunch of comments ripping apart this like kind of too good to be true kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's the crypto king thing that's kind of collapsing in the GTA, the bunch of like 20 something kids with Lambos just getting indicted and bankruptcies and whatever. And then there's also that thing on Twitter of this guy brought Edward Snowden on as a keynote speaker at his conference for something like this. And Ed Snowden literally like screen shared an article about this guy being in trouble for a a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme. (laughs) And this is a real estate related as well. I mean, anyway, I I mean, I think it's just, we're kind of at that part of the cycle where people start really look, you know, the FOMO is gone. You can't easily sell something to somebody who's afraid of missing out. And it's nice to hear that people see value in us really, really trying to break it down to the get rich slowness of, uh, of real estate. And I mean, look, if, if we ever end up like that type of characteristics of peddling that, uh, you know, the, the FOMO, the greed, the, the get rich quick stuff. Um, I think our, it's nice to know that our listeners will probably force us to have, give our head a shake before we ever get there. So we appreciate the community that we've built and reviews like this make me feel really happy. Yeah, for sure, man. Couldn't agree more. Uh, the next one, five stars, real estate wake up call exclamation mark by Canadian Red Bull on the same day, January 31st, 2023. Authentic content by two Canadians who are not only insightful with Canadian stats, but also sassy with their personal tartness towards genuine discussions. That one is, I just like I that. I like that. Yeah, me tart, too. Sassy. We don't get called tart and sassy too often, but hey, we will take it. Thank you so much, Canadian Red Bull and Jen's Investor T. Means a lot. Guys, the reviews really make our day, so write them. We appreciate it. Dan, let's move on to the deal of the day. Yeah, so today we're in Oshawa, which is a city in the GTA on the shores of Lake Ontario. It's in southern Ontario, approximately 60 kilometers east of downtown Toronto along the 401. It is commonly viewed as the eastern anchor of the greater Toronto area and of the greater Golden Horseshoe. And it is the largest municipality in the regional municipality of Durham. The city is home to three post-secondary institutions, Durham College, Trent University, Durham, and Ontario Tech University. I think UOIT is the short form for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, or they changed it, I guess. Um as well as Lake Lake Ridge Health Education and Research Network. Yeah, Oshawa is also a pretty great transit hub with good public transit systems that shuttle the people around around the Durham region. It's also got a major GO transit stop. I know I've taken the train from there to downtown Toronto. It's probably the fastest way you're getting from Oshawa to downtown, even though Oshawa is right off the 401. Uh, 
a pretty major highway here in Ontario. And uh, it's also got a via rail station, which brings people across the country. The estimated population in 2023 of Oshawa is about 100, just shy of 175,000. And listen, I personally know a ton of people that have done very, very well over the years, Dan. We've we've interacted with some of those investors. We've worked them. We currently have about three different clients looking in the Oshawa area ourselves right now. The only thing I will say is it is one of those markets that did get kind of that COVID crazy bug. Uh, it, it spiked and, and we'll discuss that as we go through a bit of the stats here. Um, and it's, it's kind of fallen back down almost as quick as it went up back down to what seems to be a bit more reasonable prices. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a couple, you know, a couple other things worth noting heavily exposed to the auto sector. I think the largest employer is GM. And, um, you know, they almost actually left town when they stopped making this certain Cadillac sedan that they manufacture there. So worth noting that, you know, there is heavy exposure to that. Uh, property taxes are about twice as much as comparable municipalities in Oshawa. And also, um, there are, I think it would be one of those areas where there are, you know, good and bad areas. And so it's not a place sure. that you can kind of yeah. just blanket shop. Like, you know, usually if you find a really good deal in in Oshawa, you send it to a realtor in Oshawa and they're like, yeah, there's a reason. Does it seem yeah. too good to be true? Yeah, probably, you know, I mean, without getting too into it, there are, there are rough areas and there are good areas in, in Oshawa. So worth being mindful of, definitely talk to a local expert in markets like this. And I learned that the hard way when I review deals like this, we, you know, I do some promotions for landlord.io on TikTok as well. And people are like, you have no idea what you're talking about. This isn't like the worst part of town in the world, like in this city. Right. <laughs> so I like, but I just do it. Cause like, I just, I, I, I break it down to the numbers. I'm like, I'm not looking at the qualitative stuff, but people will tell you that about other cities across Canada. Oshawa would have the same kind of thing. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. So let's look at some of the data here. Um, housing market report for February, 2023 from Zolo current Oshawa MLS stats indicate the average house price is 787,000. And there are 327 new listings in the last 28 days. As of today, Oshawa housing data shows median days on market for a home is 19 days, which is just one day longer than the GTA average, I think. So nothing alarming there. And the, I think that, uh, oh, 117 homes sold last month. Uh, and the sales to list price ratio is 101%. So homes are still on average selling over asking. So there's a higher bid than asking price in that market. There's one, before we get to the deal, there is one stat that you didn't mention that I do want you to mention. It's the one in red on your right, right there. Oh, the annual change in price would be down. Is that price? Yeah. So prices are down 24.7% on the average in Oshawa. So, you know, I mean, again, like you said, that's kind of that recoil. They would have seen about a 20 to 30% jump up into 2020 or Q1 of 2022. And now mm. subsequently in a year over year basis from January stats is down about 20, almost 25%. So recoil, we may, you might have heard us mention that word in, in May of last year <laughs> that we were anticipating that you're starting to see it now. So, um, for sure we're not, you know, we're not predictors by any means, but there are certain things that where the writings on the wall because there's data in the past to show us what, you know, history repeats itself or it often rhymes. Um, we try and research those things exceptionally well on this podcast. So. Lend oh, us an yeah, ear do. and we might save you 25%. <laughs> Let's look at the deal. We've got a cool one today. This is a 
purpose-built triplex, and it's in Oshawa, of course. That's why we've been talking about Oshawa. It's listed at 1349800, so basically 135. I'm going to quickly read the description here, and then, Dan, we'll go back and forth throughout the process here and, and figure out if this is a good deal or not. The description reads, same owners for 36 years, legal triplex with R5 zoning, calling all investors. Set your own rent or live in one bedroom. Live in one of the units with help rent, blah, blah, blah. Uh, one bedroom rented for 948. The second two bedroom rented for 930. And the top floor, which is a three bedroom, is currently vacant. So let's unpack a little bit of that. Same owner for 36 years. That sounds like a VTB possibility to me. That likely means there's no mortgage on this place and a VTB could be pitched to help that owner alleviate some of the capital gains exposure that they would have. Uh, legal tripex, that's great. We want to see that. And R5 zoning, we'll get to why that's good. Now, 91 days on realtor.ca could be a red flag. I don't know. Don't know the area. I'm sure our listeners will let us know. Again, this is 639 Cartier Avenue in Oshawa. So if we look at the one bedroom, I'm going to go through the, the, the deal now, Dan, and then I'll let you have the good one and you can go through the deal when we bring it up to market rent. Um, it's so the one bedroom at 948, the two bedroom at 930, both obviously well below market rent. Let's say just to be conservative, we get 2200 for that three bedroom, the top floor. That brings us up to just over 4000 monthly at $4,078. I ran the deal at a 6% interest rate and shocker, it's not that great. Uh, minus $25,000 for your first year. So basically you're losing over $2,100 a month in cash flow. Uh, it's, it's basically a 3% cap rate. Um, I didn't put much money in improvement costs, uh, just only 20 grand. It looked to be in pretty decent shape, 95% occupancy. Um, you know, the 10 year projection starts to look mediocre. Um, but but still not great. Now, Dan, I'll, I'll give you the fun job here. Why don't you let us know from our friends at Zumper what the average, what those what those rooms should rent at from a uh, market value perspective, and then you get to run the the deal um, as that. Yeah, for sure. So we'd basically just be changing the assumptions that we would be plugging into the deal analyzer on landlord.io. Um, I got this data, like Nick said, from from Zumper. Um, and also you would need to do a cash for keys, obviously, or request vacant possession and have the owner do a cash for keys to get mm -hmm. the tenants to agree to vacate, which is difficult in this market. I'm going to completely admit that it's a very tough and, and um, complicated operational thing to execute. So there's a reason it, you know, a lot of, like I, I have places where I have one for sale where, you know, the, the owner and this and the tenants have basically loosely agreed to a cash for keys buyout. And the, you know, the, the purchaser said to or potential purchaser said to me, why don't, why doesn't he just um, evict those people anyway? So to increase his, his uh, ROI. And I said, well, he doesn't really want to, he's not, he wants to realize the ROI through a sale. He doesn't, really mm -hmm. care about juicing up the cash flow. He doesn't want to displace tenants who probably are never going to be able to find a unit for that value again. Um, and so, you know, there is a lot of goodwill in the marketplace that's kind of creating friction in the, in the, in transactions um, that's worth noting, right? Cause it's not, you know, people think that this is easy and that it's like an input and output business, but the inputs, the people paying you the rent are human beings and you have to displace them 
to through an eviction. So it's a sensitive process. Um, just so you're exactly. aware, it's not, it's not, it's not like, oh yeah, like you just just sign this piece of paper and everything's good and it's show like, up with two no, grand you, well, and, and they're aware. gone and there's no headaches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think we saw. I, I've seen people paying tenants, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars cash for yeah. keys, and and rightfully so because that per, in order for that person to be able to afford a new unit elsewhere. They're going to need that head start, or either that, or if they're going to if they're going to get evicted by other means, then they're going to have to move to like where are you going to find a nine hundred eighty dollar one bedroom Sudbury? Maybe like you know what I mean? Maybe not even maybe. like you're going to yeah. you're, that person's driving four or five hours to get comparable rent anyway. So fe- February fourth, twenty twenty three, the average rent for a one bedroom apartment in Oshawa is seventeen twenty five. So that's like double what it's renting for, right? So yeah. we have a hundred percent rent upside. Um, two bedroom is 1900. That's 2% increase from the previous year, but again, a hundred percent, um, higher, literally double what we're seeing in this building. Um, and again, if, you know, owner's been there for 36 years, tenants probably been there for a long period of time. They're paying rent from 10, 15 years ago, index at inflation. A three bedroom is 2495, 7% increase from the previous year. So obviously some demand for bigger units, maybe work from home, maybe families. Um, so 600, uh, sorry, $6,120 monthly, over 2000 more by bringing the rents to market value. Brings the cap rate up to 4.62% on landlord.io. First year cash on cash return is still negative, just barely, uh, 0.92%, negative 0.92%, sorry. But again, you're getting to, uh, you know, a more normal looking asset. Like 4.62, I think would still be a little bit low for that market. I'd like to see probably low fives, five cap for for an Oshawa multiplex. Um, IRR internal rate of return is twelve point eight nine percent over uh, a ten year hold. So I mean, it starts to look more like a normal investment. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We'd ideally like to see the cap rate start with a five, and you know maybe that can be negotiated in the purchase price, or or you know you, you get a bit more upside on a, a negotiated VTB. A little bonus though is the R five zoning, which means that you can build a sixplex eventually on that plot of land. So whether it's hold for a few years and redevelop, zoning is one of those things that we always like to look at with every deal, right? How big is the land? Am I able to possibly sever it? Um, is there a chance for infill development in a few years? So, um, and you might even, you might even be able to get like a, a minor variance to get that density. Like just say, look, it's three units now. It's within, you know, cause it, or if it's zoning, then it would be technically, um, as of right. So you could just, uh, you know, you'd have to go get a site plan or a building permit, but through uh, bill 23, you're now not going to need a site plan below 10 units. So, you know, there is definitely upside potential in this in this building uh, and and the lot you just again it's more of a it's not an investment per se that's a development you know that's it that's an yeah. operational and so it, it just you gotta you gotta think about those things the other thing is you know you could get some super sweet vtb terms that get rid of how much interest you're burning because like and i'm looking at a deal like this in toronto right now got the seller was brilliant and locked in a 10-year mortgage term at great rates last year and they're selling the mortgage with it. They've already done the assumption work. You know, they know that as long as the purchaser has better net worth than them, the or same net worth as them, then they can take over the mortgage. And that makes the deal cash flow. The deal wouldn't be a good deal without that mortgage. But for ten, now they have that the purchaser has seven years of a you know interest rate two percent below current rates. It makes yeah, the deal that's awesome. And yeah, and and so brilliant, brilliant move. And so you're starting to see a lot more of the structure trickle into small cap deals because it's what's necessary to make deals work. And you saw this in the 90s as well. 
Time to get creative. Um, okay, good stuff. Let's move on. Let's talk about Mac Daddy, or as his friends call him, you probably know him as Tiff, Mr. Macklem, Governor. Mr. T. Dan, Mr. T. Dan, uh, start us off here. He, he, what we'll do is we'll read a couple excerpts from from an article, and then, and then I'd love to get your insights on this. We can have a bit of a chat back and forth before we get to the final segment yeah. of the show here. Yeah, this is interesting. So Tiff Macklem used a speech in Quebec City on February 7th to reiterate that the central bank would be taking a conditional pause on rate hikes over the months ahead to determine if enough has been done to reverse inflation. However, the government governor was definitive that policymakers aren't planning on cuts anytime soon. I want to be very clear. It's so many so many times I've heard him say, I want to be very clear, I guess, because he's worried <laughs> the things that he's saying get taken out of context, which they certainly do. Or he mm-hmm. just says the wrong thing maybe sometimes. Okay, I want to be very clear. We are pausing interest rate hikes to assess whether we raised interest rates enough to get inflation all the way back to target, Macklem told reporters after his speech. Monetary policy work works with a with the lag. We've raised rates rapidly. We're seeing the effects. We know there's more to come. It makes sense to pause and assess whether we've done enough. Macklem noted that the market expectations are a moving target, pointing to the roughly two-week lag between the responses are correlated when the results are published. I mean, we talk about this all the time here. Uh, we'll be assessing economic developments relative to the forecasts, Macklem said in his remarks. If evidence begins to accumulate that inflation is not declining in line with our forecasts, we are prepared to raise our policy rate further. So this is the stuff that no one's quoting here. Everyone's quoting the pause, but no one's yeah. quoting the hey. By the way, like if this doesn't work, we're we're you know we're right back on that uh, on that hiking cycle. Yeah. Macklem flagged some risks in his projections that could complicate the central bank's mission. The biggest is that global energy prices could increase, pushing inflation up around the world, Macklem said in a speech. We're also concerned that inflation expectations could remain elevated and increases in labor costs could persist. If these upside risks materialize, we are prepared to raise interest rates further to return inflation to the 2% target. Okay. Um... What are your thoughts here, Dan? I mean, we've heard Tiff, and, and again, no offense to Tiff, but we've heard him talk out of both sides of his mouth for the last, I don't know, year and a bit. Um, again, not putting the blame directly on him. Um, yeah. you know, he's obviously got to be very careful with what he says, being uh, the position that he is in and the weight that that carries. Um, and the weight that carries not only on actual financial um, you know, the actual economy, but the sentiment within the economy, right? The people that are listening and trying to understand this. What's your takeaway from this? Does this mean anything or is this just kind of ongoing rhetoric that they have to, you know, say something at this point? No, I I, I believe him. I, I think, and I, you know what? I, I don't think, like, I think they have a, a bit of a, a shitty track record, but like, or on, on the commentary side, but not like there was that one thing where he was like, interest rates are going to be low for a long time. That really you know, came back to bite him. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that one like should have never happened that, you know, and I, I would imagine if he had a time machine, he would certainly erase that, that uh, iteration. But after that, I think, you know, like they've really gradually been walking things back and rolling things out slowly to reduce panic because everyone is watching the central banks, you know, and we've discussed this a couple of times on the last couple of episodes and how, doesn't really matter. It only really matters to existing variable rate holders now what the Bank of Canada does because the you know bond yields are really in control of what 
the what more you know the buying power in the market is doing right now because fixed rates are better than variable rates. But he did also make some statements that you know, like he literally empathized with home buyers who purchased at the peak and said, you know, they're, you're likely feeling squeezed. Well, yeah, no, I am. Maybe what would have been better, uh, a better way to say it is you're likely feeling rug pulled because that's literally what happened to everybody. <laughs> I mean, real, like, and so I think they're trying to, 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 you know, pay more, a little bit more attention to the, the consumer sentiment and to, and be a little bit more empathetic to the fact that like the economy is actually a, a group of, human beings who now all of a sudden are in really rough financial positions as a result of what the Bank of Canada did. And so like, and, and I think that they realize that they have the attention of the entire country. Um, and so they're, they're trying to, to control things and make people feel a little bit better. Um, yeah. And I, and I believe I, I do. Yeah. I believe that there it's their objective to pause. I, I don't know if they'll be able to, cause I think that my fear is that you pause for a little bit too long if the Fed keeps hiking to protect their reserve currency status, mm. then we start importing inflation. It doesn't matter what energy costs are doing. And if we get too far behind, then you've got to do bigger hikes and then you are really, really running into some problems. And if you need, you know, a, a full clinic on this episode one, we talk about the hiking schedules and when they backed off in the 81 and that's when inflation just went crazy. And that's when they hi- ended up hiking up to like 18%. Not that I see that happening, but we don't want to get behind this right now. We're ahead yeah. of it. You don't want to be behind it. Yeah, and no, I completely agree. Good points. I mean, I think the the intention is there. It was really nice to hear him acknowledge the, you know, the average Canadian is probably hurting. Yeah, that that's very true. So I think that they're obviously a bit more aware of that maybe than they were before, or at least they're, uh, you know, vocalizing it to to the public. So, um, you know, let's uh, let's cross our fingers and and hope that uh, that things stay stay course. Let's move on to the final segment of the show here, Dan. Now you've probably never heard of this guy, but in 1968 he started Equity Group Investments, which today invests in industries like energy, logistics, healthcare, and more. I feel like I feel like people would have heard of him. Maybe I don't know, but anyway. Um... Because I, I do it all the time. He's like always on YouTube and stuff. Or you, maybe you're being sarcastic. The forefather <laughs> of modern real estate investment trusts. He chairs five public companies, including one of the nation's largest residential REITs. His $39 billion sale of office REIT equity office to Blackstone just before the market crashed in 2007 was among one of the largest real estate deals ever. Around the same time, he led an $8.2 billion buyout of the newspaper owner Tribune Company, which quickly went bankrupt. And as a college student, he managed a 15-unit student apartment building in exchange for a free room. His enterprise was netting about $150,000 by the time he graduated. Who is he? Great question. It's Sam Zell. How did you not know that? Come on. So Sam Zell is worth $5.2 billion U.S. dollars. The big dollars, um, known <laughs> as the Grave Dancer, he has amassed, amassed a large part of the fortune during the financial downturn. So he's a bear market uh, expert. Dates to 1975 when Zell wrote that his successes came from reviving corpses left behind by the last real estate crash. Oh, I love that. <laughs> he has shared his secrets in, to success in his book, Am I Being Too Subtle? 
Here are 10 lessons from the Duke of Dirt, assembled by the Duke of Dirt, who Nick and I love to follow on Twitter and um, does exceptional little aggregations of, of consuming real estate information from big, big pros like this. Um, 10 lessons that every investor should know. Okay, I'm going to kick us off here with the first one. Nothing is more important than a person's honor. Reputation is your most important asset. Every action you take is part of your permanent record. So always strive to be a man of your word. Now, if you know real estate and if you know real estate investing, the more you get into it, you realize how small of a community that is and how I like how he says your permanent record, right? Like everything you do, especially in the world that we live in now is is going to be on that quote unquote permanent record, whether it's social media stuff, YouTube, podcasting, whatever it may be, you put yourself out there and it's your reputation. So in my opinion, protect it at all costs. I mean, we've seen people work, you know, decades to build up a reputation and a couple bad moves like we opened up the episode with, whether you're, you know, the crypto king or the most recent Ponzi schemer, you know, it, it you can't come back from that kind of stuff. So Reputation is the most important asset. Sam, couldn't agree with you more on that one. Number two, when people show you who they are, believe them. Where there is smoke, there's fire. And that goes nicely, curtails nicely on what you were just saying about, you know, the uh, the too good to be truers, the, you know, the, the gurus, whatever it is. When people demonstrate qualities that go against your principles, avoid them like the plague. Often this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with that. I mean, the best part about being in real estate investing and, and eventually working your way to become a full-time real estate investor, or if you're a real estate agent, a mortgage professional, if you are an entrepreneur, the best part is you likely get to pick who you want to work with for the most part. So don't work with people you don't like. Find people that have the same principles, goals, ethics, uh, that you do and, and work with them, figure out a way to work with them. The third one here is be ready to pivot. If everyone is going left, look right, shut out the noise and do what makes sense to you. Spot opportunity early and gain the early mover advantage. Dan, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it boils down to some of the principles of value investing as well that we hear a lot about on, on TCI, the Canadian Investor Podcast, our podfathers, um, but also from guys like Warren Buffett and some of the greats where, you know, it's, it's distilling the market sentiment and then understanding, you know, what, what is the opposite of that? And is it, is it safe to, you know, I think a lot of risk management comes down to like, if you look at, past two months or, or January of this year, as an example, we had record low real estate volume for January and yet the market prices were, you know, 30% lower, let's say, or in Oshawa, 25% lower than what they were this time last year. And you can't find somebody to go buy a, a property yet this time last year, prices were 30% higher. Interest rates were cheaper. So, you know, a component there is obviously a, a lower barrier to entry, but People were lining up to buy houses, literally mm -hmm. at open houses, lining up to buy houses, <laughs> lining up to buy pre-con. You know, there was so much risk in the market. Prices were accelerating like crazy, yet everybody wanted to pile in, right? The fear of missing out. This might be my last chance. Well, I don't, th I, th I think in all of the history of markets and market cycles, there was never a last chance. You know, they said, oh, like Google right now is, is getting decimated stock-wise. It's like, you know, the 
trade volume on a stock like that was crazy on a run up in, you know, and now it's been the, the cost of that, that stock or the price of that stock has been valued or devalued by 50%, let's say in the past year, and there's nobody lining up to buy it. So this comes down to, I mean, it's really, you know, it echoes the sentiment in Buffett's be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And when you saw yeah. that, like, that's why I was so, everyone's like, why are you so bearish in January, February? Well, cause I was, I, I just listened to that quote and it was ringing in my ears for for yeah. two months straight. Everyone's being so greedy. Everyone's rushing. You know, it, it's like a Black Friday sale. People are beating the crap out of each other at the opening front front door of a Walmart to buy stuff that isn't even really on, on sale, right? Like, and um, now we've realized the risk and now I'm, now I'm the one who's feeling greedy, right? I'm ready to, and, and so it's just, you know, understand what the market's doing and there's probably safety in the antithesis of what they're doing. Yeah, love it. You're a regular young Sam Zell. It's great. Yeah, it's probably not even. I just <laughs> I just listen to people who are smarter than me. And I guess a lot of other people want to listen to like Crypto King or whatever, like, you know, young bussin' bussin' no cap guys on TikTok telling the market only goes up, right? I like Get to a Lamborghini Gallardo and, sip- and people start listening, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah ser- like seriously, man. I mean, now you get to see who's swimming naked, right? Um, and on the on the note of if everyone's going left, look right, do that with your eyes wide open. Number four says, keep your eyes wide open. Any event or pattern out of the ordinary is like a beacon telling me some new interesting opportunity may be emerging, says Sam Zell. So you really want to cultivate the ability to get through that information and distill it, figure out, you know, parse out what's important, what's relevant, and then recall those things when those pieces of information are useful to you as an investor is like, and I I say this all the time, I I, probably every time I'm having a conversation about the real estate market right now, I don't think like uh, as prices go down, there's less risk below you and there's more upside above you price wise. Right. But I liken today's real estate market to a stock pickers market in, in the stock market and a stock pickers market means, you know, some people will be able to, completely outperform the market by just picking the right stock. And I think real estate has that characteristic right now. You're seeing huge changes in different cities. You know, Moncton is a good example of a city that saw a huge run up, but hasn't really seen a recoil yet. GTA saw huge run ups, but we're seeing recoils everywhere. There are different cities in in Canada that are all behaving in different ways. If you, if you find one that is, you know, if there's an outlier, if it's a pattern out of the ordinary, that there's some interesting new opportunity that may be emerging in the Canadian real estate market. If you can find that, you can outperform the market. You can outperform my portfolio. You can outperform Nick's portfolio. You can outperform all these gurus' portfolios, right? But and but most people are always looking where everybody else is looking. What's happening outside of that, right? Keep yeah, your eyes wide. Love that. Love it. Uh, here's another good one. Keep investing simple. I mean, I love this. I am a simple guy, so I don't try to do deals that I don't understand. You know, if the deal has a big downside and a small upside, probably not a good idea to do the deal. If the deal has a small downside and a big upside, do the deal. And if the deal is, uh, you know, equal downside, upside risk, then get to work and figure out how to make that upside better. You know, we talk about this all the time. So do the guys on TCI. If you don't understand what the company does, don't buy the stock. And if you don't understand how a duplex runs or how to fit out a basement suite or how to run a 10-unit building or how to get financing for a multiplex, 
you probably shouldn't be doing it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be investing. Doesn't even mean you shouldn't buy the property. It just means that you, maybe you yourself shouldn't do it. Maybe you're not that person. Maybe you need to bring in another person that has that understanding and you keep it simple for yourself. So I guess this really goes back to just knowing yourself. And and again, real estate isn't all that complicated overall, at least, you know, buying a, going to buy a duplex isn't. So keep investing simple and know what you're buying. I think even when you start getting into complicated equity and debt structures, like it's still really not that complicated, right? It's like, oh, you know, if you were to, if you found like a, you know, you're a car guy and you find a nice car on Kijiji and one of your buddies is like, you know, you go to one of your buddies and you're like, hey man, like you want to give me 50% of what I need for this car and then we'll get, you know, I can get financing on the rest of it. It's like, okay, cool. You just did, you know, like a, a that would be like a real estate debt and it's equity a joint venture structure. right there. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, most people, because it's real estate and it's behind a bunch of banker terms because people want to mystify it so they can monetize you then it sounds difficult. So yeah, I would, I would agree. Keep it simple. Um, number six, rely on macro trends to identify opportunity. I, I purposely gave you this one, by the way. Yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> I mean, this one's look, if, and you know, Sasha said this in one of our most recent episodes from Graybrook, he said, you know, if you don't get the macro, you have to get the macro right, right. Understand that. And then, you know, you can usually, you de-risk, like you take out the big portion of risk, right? So how will global trends change capital flows in in asset class in you know in different cities you can even look at right in in Canada we think about immigration net provincial migration into different cities across the country um you know Sam's also sold his portfolio of office buildings in 2007 right on the eve of the global financial crisis for 39 billion dollars like i was liquid wow. heading into the yeah heading into like one of the biggest stock market crashes of our lifetime uh, although he didn't predict the fall of the office, he saw the writing on the wall of the global financial crisis. Great grandfather bear. I love it. And and to be honest, I love the fact that he sold it to Blackstone. We'll do a full episode on Blackstone for anyone that doesn't know. They're, they're like the shadow bank company that runs the world and they've dipped their toes into the residential and, and multifamily market across North America. So the fact that uh, Sam was able to sell it to an institution of, of that magnitude and an institution with that much you know information and 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 analytics and and all that good stuff it uh sam's a sharp guy love to see yeah you know it's and the guy's no stranger to uh to bear markets either like i mean we you know i know we said that he calls himself the grave dancer but he i i was actually (laughs) i i just had to check my messages because my internet's down right now but i sent this to to johnny a while ago it was like a a music box or something like that, that Sam Zell was giving out to his investors in the early nineties that, 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 uh, it was like the American flat guys, like raising that flag. But I think it was like a building of some sort or something like that. And it's, it was, it said, stay alive till 95. So I think, cause there was like, I think in one of the, the presidential eras, it was like, there was a recession. It was maybe 75 or 85. And then, and I feel like now it's like stay alive till 2025. Right. <laughs> where we're, I was actually, I, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated by Sam Zell. So, um, so that, that thing was cool. Um, then he, I think he was kind of one of the, one of the, the godfathers of that stay alive till 95 movement. Yeah. I love that. Uh, good listening can make all the difference. That's number seven. Well, congratulations, everybody. You are currently doing that by listening to this podcast. So well done. Uh, you know, focus on what is meaningful and go from there. If you're a seeker of information and an astute observer, all the information you need is out there. And hey, guess what? 
Dan and I are here dishing it out twice a week. So tune in, make sure you don't miss an episode. But on a very serious note, you know, before we started this podcast, Dan and I consumed a ton of content. And I don't mean, you know, we're not scrolling through TikTok watching every video that pops up, but we are reading as much as possible. Sam's right. And and Sam comes from a different time. If you want to find out something, you can find it out nowadays. Google didn't exist when Sam was getting started. Um, so I love that. Good listening can make all the difference, you know, especially for the newer investors and even for seasoned investors. There's always, you know, if you, again, if you're the smartest guy in the room, smartest person in the room, get in a different room um, and, and start listening to the people around you. Dan, take us to number eight. Yeah. Okay. And before I get to number eight, I also, I, I was a little worried there on that, that trajectory that you were talking about good listening. I was worried that because we are literally just sitting here talking about real estate, we perhaps were failing to follow that advice. But um, I think maybe the reason that we, we talk so much about real estate is because we did the listening already. But also I think if you ever see you and I in a, in a room with clients negotiating, we, we tend to do a lot of listening because I try and surround myself with clients who are smarter than I am and I'm constantly observing their investment thesis and just learning about how they do things and trying to absorb. Um, and so I like, I like that, that piece of advice. Um, number eight here, opportunity presents itself in all shapes and sizes. We can rip through this one pretty quickly. I think Zell famously bought beacon properties over a game of bocce ball. Excellent game, by the way, we should maybe, we should maybe have a wonderful have game. A, podcast bocce tournament actually would be amazing i feel like it's a little lower barrier to entry <laughs> it's than golf hand, right? it's basically hand yeah. golf hand golf yeah exactly <laughs> um you will always miss an opportunity if you are not paying attention yeah love that pretty self-explanatory so is this next one if you lie down with the dogs you will wake up with fleas invest your money with people you respect and businesses you stand behind Zell famously passed on an opportunity to invest in payday loans early on, although he felt it certainly would make money, the business was against his ethics. So, you know, not to bring ethics too much into this, but it is an ethical business, right? We talked about reputation. We talked about your relationship with clients, your relationship with tenants, cash for keys. Um, you know, make sure that you are Real estate's a long game. Make sure you're doing it ethically or the bad stuff you're doing now could come back to bite you in the ass, whether it's six months, six years, or 16 years. It's a better idea to just, you know, abide by your ethics, abide by your business yeah, principles. Or when you have Ed, Dan, what is when you have the, Edward Snowden on as a keynote? Um, <laughs> oof. Savage. Yeah. We should probably put that link in the show notes Maybe, or something. Yeah, people can some find people it. Can I, don't like to, I don't like to do too much drama, yeah. but I did think it was pretty funny. Um and you know what? I actually find I feel that kind of like that one that you you know where he says payday loans. I I kind of feel that way about self storage. I've been I was presented with a self storage deal, and I'm just like, oh, I hate, I just self storage is hard for me because I feel like it epitomizes like just disgusting human consumerism. You know, like the fact that it has to exist is like so it, that one's always, buy a bunch of shit and, and come put it all here. The stuff you're never gonna look at. And I I don't know that one. I do struggle with that one a little bit to be honest. But I guess it is also a byproduct of you know. Canadians not being able to afford big enough houses for themselves, maybe. I don't know. Um, the last one here, thou shall not take thyself too seriously. The financial sector can be stuffy. Remember what I was talking about with the mysticization or mysticism of all of these things like debt and equity, and they may want to make it sound like it's so hard and you can't make it simple and you can't do it without a guru. Zell is the antithesis of stuffy. 
if it ain't fun, we won't do it has been a motto of his company for years. I think Drake, what did he say? Moment I'm finished having fun with it, I'll be done with it. He featured Sam Zell in one of his songs, uh, apparently. I uh I love it. I love how they went like biblical with this one too. Thou shalt not take thyself too seriously. Shakespearean biblical. I don't know what it is, but I like it. And obviously I resonate with that personally. I, you know, again, this is why I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I want to work with people that get me and that I get them and that we have fun doing what we set out to do. Um, so there you have it. Sam Zell, the grave dancer. What a beauty. Dan, uh, anything else before we close out here? I think we're good, man. I really enjoyed that one. I would love to actually get the dude. We have a, a very notable guest coming up. Uh, who, I, I don't know. Have we talking about that yet? But anyway, um, I would love to get the dude. Have we men- I don't even know if we have mentioned I would love to get the, the Duke mm. of Dirt to do a summary like this on that individual before we go to meet them. That would be cool. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll make some calls. Um, do you know the Duke? Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks so much for listening to the show, everybody. If you liked it, please leave us a review. Rate us five stars. That really helps us grow the show. It helps people know that we are not gurus or whatever people were saying uh, earlier on. That we're not trying to sell <laughs> snake oil or get rich quick schemes or whatever. And um, and that helps people get gravitated towards the show because a lot of people are looking for good advice because bad advice causes things like what's currently happening in the real estate market in Canada. Love it. Thanks so much, Dan. See you later, everybody. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317- Agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.